I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we'll begin our study in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning at verse 16, as we continue our sermon series through this letter of 2 Corinthians. Last week, we started chapter 8, and we looked at verses 1 through 15, and as we looked at that together, we considered a a theological argument of grace. The Apostle Paul laid out a a, a theological argument that that had as its foundational logic in grace, the grace of God extended to his people, and that foundation becomes the, the foundation upon which he argues for a collection for the saints in Jerusalem among the people in Corinth, that they would make a collection to provide for others. The foundation, the logic behind that argument was grace. Now, in this second half of chapter 8, he makes a, a, he argues that thanksgiving and, common, and a commendation of a three-man delegation who would both complete the collection among the Corinthians and accompany Paul to Jerusalem. And the argument for that three-person delegation, the completion of the collection among the Corinthians that is to be sent on to Jerusalem, the argument again has its foundation grace uh, or thanksgiving. We'll see that in just a moment. The thing that I want us to see in this passage is that in both sections, the Apostle Paul can't make a dry, theological, compartmentalized argument. He can't, he can't just make a, a simple, dry statement without you know, sort of exclaiming, bursting into benediction or well-saying or praise of God. All right? he, he can't help but be praising of God as he unpacks his logic for this collection. We'll see it right away. Look at it with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning at verse 16. But... Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brother whom We have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love, and of our boasting about you, of these men. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your grace and kindness to us. 
we thank you that we have your word and that your word is sufficient to equip your church to, to give us, to grant us the grace that is needed to overflow in thanksgiving, to overflow in praise, to overflow in generosity, to overflow in lives that have been transformed by your grace. We pray that you would do this work among us even this morning as we gather in these variety of ways. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your good name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You already saw it. The passage begins with the root cause of the gift. The root cause of the gift is this. Thanks be to God. He's continuing the argument. He can't help but continue to make the argument that thanks to God compels everything that is happening. Look at verse 16 with me again. But thanks be to God who put into the hearts of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. I want you to see something about where Paul roots the collection and all the activities that are surrounding. It's the compelling reason for everything that he says in this letter and really anywhere in the scriptures. What I want to do is I want to go back and remember a few things that have been said in 2 Corinthians already. If you go back to the beginning, sort of the opening statement of the letter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. All right, it begins with a statement of praise, thankfulness for the comfort and encouragement of God is the reason why the Apostle Paul and the Corinthian church are able to comfort and encourage one another. So the grace of God is the theological foundation on which we walk and act and comfort and encourage and embolden one another. Just a little later in the next chapter, in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God, there's that language, who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Thanksgiving to God is why Paul is able to endure so much suffering as he travels from city to city in the proclamation of the gospel. All because of God's grace to him first, that he overflows in the thanksgiving that is making God known among the churches. And then, one more passage I want to draw your attention to in 2 Corinthians. Actually, it's a passage we're going to look at next week. It's chapter 9, verse 15 where he just exclaims, he bursts forth in the words, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Right in the midst of trying to explain how he's going to do this collection that is a gift for the church in Jerusalem, he exclaims, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This whole passage, and really the occasion for the entire letter, is to address the subject of generosity and thanksgiving and their relationship to one another as thanksgiving to God for his grace works itself out in the lives of the church. As the Apostle Paul looks at the church in Corinth, it isn't as though he looks at them and and sees some sense that the the church in Corinth will surely be generous. They're just that kind of people, you know. Just a generous 
kind of people, some confidence in their inner nature or in their disposition or their behavior among one another, that, that this is a good church that will surely be generous. I'll, 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 to the contrary. If you know anything about the Corinthians by looking at Paul's own letters, this is a church that is prone to division. It's prone to pride. It's prone to arrogance. It's prone to posturing. Not prone to generosity. That isn't their inner disposition. And so an appeal to sort of who they are in and of their own persons is not Paul's appeal. It's not his confidence even in the collection for the church. His confidence and hope is in God's grace. He knows that God's grace, God's gift, God's generosity has been made known to them. And they, having received it, are being changed. The Apostle Paul is confident that where the grace of God is at work, it will change even a people who are prone to posturing and arrogance and comparison. Even among them, the grace of God will overflow in generosity. So, his thanks is not, thanks be to God for how kind you people just generally are. No. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Really, I think James, James chapter 1, verse 17, expresses this well, what, what the Apostle Paul believes as a foundational reality in the church. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You see, the, the gift of the Corinthians for the Jerusalem church is a complicated gift. It's a gift that's kind of, they've had to be talked through and walked through. They've had to have repentance take place in the midst of the church in order to even enable such generosity. It's a complicated gift. But the gift that is from God that comes through them is with no variation, no shadow due to change. He's working his work among the Corinthians. And so the commendation of the delegation that follows in this passage and the instruction to receive the delegation is under the banner of thanks to God for his work and specifically the heart of Titus, as we'll see in just a moment. So Paul's concern in the passage is to give thanks to God. When's that not his concern? Let's turn our attention in the very next verse, in verse 17, and what follows, to the delegation. Now, the word delegation doesn't actually appear in this passage, but it's clear that, that the church has put together a group of three people that are serving as a sort of a delegation or, or emissaries to go to Corinth and to bring a message and to, do, to finish the collection. Look at it with me. Verse 17, For he, that is Titus, not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, is going to you of his own accord. Three men, the first is Titus, are going to to Corinth, and they're going with the Apostles' Commission, bearing this letter with specific instructions. Each of these men are given qualifications, things that qualify them to be members of the delegation. Titus is qualified in this way. The first is he's known to them. He's the only man of the three that's actually named. 
They know his name. They'll recognize it. In fact, Titus had so recently been among them. He knows them, and they know him. And what they know about him is he has an earnest care for them. So Titus is not some unnamed functionary. He isn't just a representative or a delegate. He's a man who truly loves the church in Corinth. In Titus, they have a man whom they know. They have in him more than another member of a delegation. They have a lover of their souls. As I consider Titus's genuine, earnest care for the Corinthians, I think of my first visit to Mongolia. I didn't know anybody. They didn't know my name, and I didn't know their names. I still have a hard time pronouncing most of them. But then I went there, and I was sent there by you as a delegate from Cross Point Coast and traveling alongside Wego as a delegate from here. And I met him. And I met the church in Mongolia, and they learned my name, and I learned theirs. So that when I visit there now, I'm not just a delegate from a church in Florida. I'm not some sort of Wego mission board functionary. They know me, and they know I truly love them. An earnest care for the church in Mongolia. So that when I'm asked at the airport, as I'm traveling through customs, right? And I'm asked, are you here on business or pleasure? The answer is easy. Oh, I'm here to see friends. Titus would say the same. As he comes to Corinth, his word is, they know me. I know them. I'm here to see friends. Earnest care. Thanks be to God. I love what God has done in my heart, in the heart of Titus, in the heart of many others, as he connects the church together with an earnest care. Thanks be to God. That's Titus. If you move to verse 18 and 19, we discover the next brother who is sent with him, with Titus. In verse 18, we're sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he's been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace. It's being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our good will. What a great statement. The brother who's famous among the churches for his preaching of the gospel. There's his qualification. His qualification is among all the churches. He may not be known personally, but they may not know his name, but they've heard about that brother who preaches the gospel. Man, I tell you, if I had a, 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 a eulogy about me and all that was remembered was not my name, but he was the brother who was famous for preaching the gospel, that that's what was on his lips. He was an evangelist. That is a good name. And that's how he was known. He was probably an evangelist through whom many in the church in the region, perhaps not Corinth, or else he would have been named, it would seem. But in the region, it seems like many have heard the gospel through him and perhaps believed for the first time. And all of this is being done for the glory of the Lord himself. His reputation as an evangelist, as a proclaimer of the gospel, certifies him before not only God, but also before the churches that he's commissioned or elected to serve in this capacity. He's, he's a proclaimer of the gospel. 
And that qualifies him as one who is to serve in this function for the delivery of this letter and for the collection that's being made. Now, verse 19 speaks of this collection, this act of grace that is being ministered by us. Now, what that, that tells us a little bit about this group of three men that's accompanying Paul. The commission or of the delegation is not only to go ahead into Corinth, but rather to accompany Paul and the collection to Jerusalem. In fact, it would seem that their first duty, their first commission is to accompany Paul so that Paul wouldn't arrive in Corinth, collect a big bag of cash, and then carry it with himself to Jerusalem. But there's a delegation that is in charge of this momentous task of making this collection among the churches and making their way ultimately to Jerusalem with it. Which is why we need a delegation, which brings us to the third brother. We have to skip ahead just a little bit. Look at verse 22 with me. In verse 22, it speaks of the third person, the second unnamed brother, and with them, that is with Titus and the first man, we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. What are his qualifications? Titus, he loves you. You know his name. He knows your names. And he loves you. The second brother's qualification He preaches the gospel, doesn't he? You've heard about it. The third man, often tested and found earnest. I'm struck again how the relationship between the church and the minister of the gospel is so close. He's found earnest and confident in the Corinthians. He's he's sort of a man who maybe did a couple things, and he was faithful. Then he was offered up a few more things to, to labor in, and he was faithful. And then he he did a few other things, and it was a difficult time. We know this. It was the proclamation of the gospel and the work of the church was a difficult thing here in the early establishment of the church. And yet, in the face of those tests, each time he was found faithful and earnest. I'm struck that that Titus and first man, the preacher of the gospel, the second man, the one who has found earnest, all three have a deep love for the church, a confidence that God is at work in the church. And I'm struck as I think about my life in ministry for over 20 years of being around pastors. And one of the things that saddens me occasionally, sometimes often, is how I've heard pastors complain about their churches. It's as though they've become professionals who are engaged in ministry as functionaries, mere hired hands. They have no earnestness or love. And I wonder if one of the things that has happened is they've begun to look at the church as a people that ought to respond certain ways. They kind of like looking at Corinth and expecting that they would be generous in their persons. But that's not what Corinth is. It's not in their nature to be gentle and kind and respectful and honorable. But rather, it's the fruit of the gospel that is a work in their midst. I wonder, for those who would complain about their churches, have they looked for evidences of grace? And if there's any grace at work among the people of God, there's cause for rejoicing right there. God is at work Right there, and we can rejoice because the Spirit of God is present. 
as we're faithful to preach, the Spirit of God is causing that work to bear fruit in the lives of the church. We're not mere hired hands. There's to be an earnestness in our love as we look for the evidence of God's grace that we might exclaim, not so sure about my church, but thanks be to God, I'm sure about his grace. The same can be said for our own hearts, for our own lives. What do you expect to have grow up in your heart? Do you expect that you're a better person than that? Or do you expect that his mercy is more? And so you can celebrate the gift of grace at work in your own heart. Hear this. Such men are not delegates that God sends to his church. God has qualified men who love his bride. And they love his bride not because she acts beautifully, but because he has loved them. God has qualified those who love Christ's bride. Our brother, a true, tested, and faithful partner in the gospel, again, earnestness is a sign of the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer. Earnestness, zeal, love for the church becomes a qualifying mark for the minister of the gospel. It's a sign of the Spirit's inner work in the minister's soul that he loves Christ's church. This brother is all the more zealous in his labor, being encouraged by how the Spirit has worked already among the Corinthian church. You see that, verse 19. Not only has he been faithful, not only that, but he's been appointed by the churches to travel. I'm sorry, verse 22. We're sending the brother whom we have tested, so not only has he been faithful, but who is now more earnest than ever. Why? Why? Because of his great confidence in you. He's seen evidence of God's grace at work in the church. Again, as 2 Corinthians 1, 3 opens the book, this brother is encouraged by the encouragement, the emboldening, the transformation that God is already working among the church. As he sees God working there, he himself is encouraged in an earnestness. Verse 23, as for Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. As for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. One fellow worker of Paul, two messengers from the churches, and therefore explicitly to the glory of God, representatives of God's church in whom his grace works. What Paul's doing is he's building another theological argument here. He's arguing that to reject the two messengers is to reject the church. And to reject Christ's church is to reject Christ, who is the head of his church. Note that the delegation also delivered 2 Corinthians. This letter was in their hands as they picked up and left Paul and traveled on to Corinth. They carried this letter to them. I wonder, as they were reading along, were they anxious to get to chapter 8? Were they anxious 15 minutes later, they're still reading, and finally they're commended as legitimate carriers of this letter from Paul. It's no small thing that they bear the apostles' message, a message that would become noted and seen and understood to be the inspired word of God himself. 
So it is a humbling reality this morning, a joy for which we ought to give thanks that this letter is being delivered to you this morning as well. You realize that. The commission that began with this delegation continues as the ministry of the gospel continues to deliver the letters of the apostles inspired by the Spirit of God to the church of God, expecting in earnest that God would work in the midst of the proclamation of his word. Thanks be to God. Now, the apostle has explained who the delegation is, but he also offers a bit of a defense for why go about these things so officially. He explains this course of action in verses 20 and 21. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of of man. The Apostle Paul doesn't want to be there when the collection's made. He's clearly he's making an argument for why he would send a delegation ahead of him to make the collection before he gets there. If we look ahead just a little bit, again, we'll look at this in more detail next week, but 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5 says this. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The Apostle Paul doesn't want to tax the church. He wants them to give generously of as they have promised, as a willing gift. Now, As he talks about this course of action, this plan that he and the churches have come up with together, notice the deliberate nature that the Apostle Paul is is going about to make sure that what is done is honorable in the sight of the Lord and, and of those who are watching. He's making an effort toward visible, accountable faithfulness. It's so important for us to see. There's a place in the church for an intentionality for a carefulness in the way that we go about things. I look at Cross Point Coast, and, and I, sometimes I think we're slow. We're slow to act. Sometimes we're, we're deliberating and, and being very careful about taking next steps that what we would do would be honorable and good. Now, I'll admit, I think that actually sometimes we're just slow. But I think there's a little bit of encouragement in here, that there is some value to to make an effort to consider our course with wisdom and care, concern for what is honorable. There are three concerns that the Apostle Paul has given during the course of this letter, concerns for giving and collection. The commentator Scott Heffman has been helpful in pointing out these three concerns. They're, They're in our passage last week, this week, and next week. Our passage today offers the concern for the integrity of the collection, that it be for thanksgiving and love, okay? An integrity in the collection. Next week, we'll look the concern that it be a non-coerced generosity, non-coerced 
And last week, we considered that it would be a Godward generosity. He offered the theological nature and purpose of the collection, that the collection is a response of grace. Or as verse 19 calls it, an act of grace ministered by us. This collection is not a side job for Paul. It's directly related to the gospel that he preaches. It's central to his apostolic mission. Consider how Scott Heffman puts it. In other words, the collection is an essential aspect of Paul's ministry precisely because it glorifies God and demonstrates the reality of the Spirit through Paul's enthusiastic willingness to meet the needs of others. He's calling others to be affected by the grace that has affected him so that it might overflow in generosity and the care for Christ's church. Now, there's a lot of deliberation. There's a a, a sort of a, a greeting, a commendation of Titus and the other two delegates. There's an explanation of why all this care for what is honorable to the Lord and in the eyes of those who are watching. And, but at the end of our passage today, in verse 24, he really gets to the meat of the matter. His concrete instruction is this. So, therefore, give proof. Give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Paul tells them something interesting. Prove your love. Now, that's interesting because we can make a 